You may be seated. Welcome this morning to Sierra Bible Church. <clears throat> and uh, especially if maybe you're a first-time visitor, we want to say a special welcome and ask you to pay attention to the bulletin that you were given. Just inside the bulletin is a little tear-off where you can put down your name and address and some of your information. And if you'll take that once you fill it out and go to our information booth and trade it in, we've got a free gift for you. And just to say welcome to Sierra Bible Church. And uh, if you are shopping for a church home, we'll have some information here. and We can talk with you further about the ongoing ministry of Sierra Bible Church. So... Uh, welcome. If you need a Bible this morning, hold up your hands. The ushers are passing them out. Or the ushers are passing out. How does that go? So, <laughs> Bibles down the hallway. Randy, where's your Bible? You left it at home. Oh, man. <laughs> Anybody else need a Bible? Oh, but there's a whole bunch over here. Come on, John. <laughs> Keep it up high so you can see him there. As we are fond of saying around here, Bible is our middle name. You'll, you'll get it later. Uh, <laughs> so we use it quite often in our services. In fact, I preached last Sunday in First Baptist Church of Monticello, Utah, and they thought they were going through a Bible drill with all the scriptures that I used uh, in that message. Some announcements before we get into God's word this morning. Uh, in a box out on the information booth are year-end giving statements for record of your giving to Sierra Bible Church through the year of 2019. The envelopes are there. They're in alphabetical order. Pick up yours if you haven't picked it up yet. These statements in the envelopes do not cover your online giving, though. But you can go online to sbctrucky.com and go into the giving uh, tab there and find out what you gave there. That is kept separately there. So if you open up your envelope and say, hey, check that out, because that's where it may be. Inside your bulletin this morning, some announcements here that we'll bring to your attention. Cornerstone Community Church in Incline Village has invited any of the couples that would like to come to a marriage retreat that they're going to be having February 7th and 8th. That's next weekend. So you might go up online and check that out as we, that invitation has been graciously extended to us. And then for single parents, a six-part video series is going to begin at Awana starting February 11th. And this will be shown during Awana while your children are at Awana. And then this coming Thursday night, we are going to be starting our next installment of Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. It starts at 6.30 p.m. It'll be done in Ray Hall. Uh, if you haven't signed up yet, you need to sign up. It's $99 uh, to take the course. It's six weeks long every Thursday night from this coming Thursday night until nine weeks down the road. And your $99 includes the course materials, but it also includes a membership to Dave Ramsey's financial website where you can use the thing that they have done. We used to get a great big box that had all sorts of stuff in it. Well, now all we're getting is a little book and everything else is online as everything else is today. 
So that $99 gets you a subscription to their website for a year, as well as the book. So the, the things about financial peace can go far beyond uh, just our nine weeks in the class. In fact, I was talking earlier, um, Marty, Martin Pearson was in the first service, and he's kind of our poster child for our last financial peace class. And we, it was a year ago right now that it was going on. And since then, Marty has erased and eliminated $50,000 worth of debt. And he is now totally out of debt. In, in one year, it took him. And that was pretty neat. And I know that John and Mary Moniz keep chipping away at theirs and about every week. And this has been a year ago, and they're still saying, we got another one paid off, we got another one paid off. And I'll tell you what, friends, there is a, there's some uh, good information here. Uh, debt-free living is really nice. I don't know if you have ever been to the place that you've had more month left at the end of your money. But we spent an awful lot of our married life with more month left at the end of our money. And I'll tell you what, Dave Ramsey's financial peace saved our bacon, so to speak, and uh, got us out of debt. And boy, there's no way of going back because it's a nice place to live. And then men's breakfast this coming Saturday. We'll be continuing on the study of the One Another Project, Chapter 8, 7.30 this coming Saturday in Ray Hall. Now, one last Message? Come on up, Caleb Dero. Caleb Dero, I am the youth pastor here at Sierra Bible Truckee. And um, we are uh, going on a trip to Mexico in April, April 11th through the, thir- uh, through the 18th. Again, that's April 11th through the 18th. That is a Saturday to a Saturday. And we're going down um, and partnering with the So Ministries. And we're going to be doing um, some irrigation, like, so digging, <laughs> painting exterior houses and just similar um, labor-type projects like that, trying to help them out however we can. We're still trying to come together with a plan. It's hard for them to schedule because they have so many teams and different, like, processes for them. So we don't know exactly what we're doing, but it's going to be along those lines. We're wanting to bring a team of around 30 people. We have uh, a team already going down ahead of us to handle the cooking, but... Um, just if you have it on your heart to be a part of that, please come and talk to me, or you can email me at Caleb Dero. At, sorry, it's just Caleb at sbctruckie.com. and Or you can find me in the back afterwards and talk to me. But um, one thing for you to be aware of is that that trip, fall, um, we leave the 11th, the 12th is Easter Sunday. And so you will be on mission for the kingdom if you decide to come with us on Easter. Um, but that can be kind of tricky with family dynamics. I know that you guys need to be aware of that. So please consider coming with us, or at the very least, please be praying for us and praying for that trip to come together. Thank you very much. Again, the ministry they'll be working with is So Ministry, Travis and Amber Owen. Uh, who have been here many, many times and have spoken here. In fact, uh, Travis Owen was one of the young men we sent to the Horizon School of Evangelism many, many years ago. And uh, another guy went along with him called Jesse Richardson. You know, And so uh, we're hoping they'll amount to something someday. And uh, uh, God has mightily used both of them, both Travis and Jesse, Jesse's not here this morning because he's a little under the weather, and uh, so 
I'm going to do a little pinch hitting for him this morning. We're going to wind up the book of Galatians today. Uh, Jesse has done an incredible job through this, and it has just whet my appetite for more of Paul. And our next series that we'll be doing on Sunday morning, Jesse will be taking us through the book of Exodus, which ought to be quite a journey as well. But this morning, let's wrap up Galatians by turning to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And as is our custom, would you stand with me as we read this? Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Father in heaven, once again we pray that you will open our eyes, the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our understanding, that you would speak with us today through these precious words penned under your inspiration by your servant to your church. So now as we proclaim God's word to God's people, may your will be done in our lives as individuals and in our corporate life as a church. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you got a bulletin this morning, there is a study guide for this morning's message inside of the bulletin. And on the back of that study guide is the same passage of Scripture that I just finished reading, but it's taken from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the New Testament called The Message. And I think that if you would take this and compare it to what I just read out of the ESV and kind of spend some time contemplating them together, we'll come to a greater understanding of what Paul's up against here and what it is that he's doing. If you remember, the reason this Galatian letter was written, the Apostle Paul had gone to Galatia, preached the gospel, people responded to that gospel, he set people in charge and put a place in order, and then he left to continue his missionary journeys. At some point after he left, 
a group of people came into the church that we have been calling the Judaizers, who came and basically their message was, you can't be a Christian unless you're a Jew first. And what they were saying is, what Paul has said in Christ is all good and true, but it's not enough. You need the mark of circumcision, the mark of, that God gave to Abraham uh, and for Abraham's people. Secondly, you need to keep the law of Moses. And that would be the dietary customs, that would be the new moons and the Sabbaths and all of the other things that would go along with it. And Paul is writing to these people and saying, you know, it was for freedom that God set you free. You've been set free in Christ from this because Christ did it all. We sang this morning, in Christ alone. That was Paul's message to the Galatians. And so that's what he's been wrestling with the whole time. Why have you gone back into bondage? Why are you listening to these people? And don't you know that they're not doing this for your sake? They're doing this for their own benefit and their own sake. And the message really brings that out. And so let's read this one together. This one in your insert from your bulletin on your sermon notes. Now, in these last sentences, I want to emphasize in the bold scrawls of my personal handwriting the immense importance of what I have written to you. These people who are attempting to force the ways of circumcision on you have only one motive. They want an easy way to look good before others, lacking the courage to live by a faith that shares Christ's suffering and death. All their talk about the law is hot air. They themselves don't keep the law. And they are highly selective in the laws they do observe. They only want you to be circumcised so that they can boast of their success in recruiting you to their side. That is contemptible. For my part, I am going to boast about nothing but the cross of our Master, Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, I have been crucified in relation to the world, set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the little patterns that they dictate. Can't you see the central issue in all of this? It is not what you do and I do, submit to circumcision or reject circumcision. It is what God is doing. And he is creating something totally new a free life. All who walk by this standard are the true Israel of God, his chosen people. Peace and mercy on them. Quite frankly, I don't want to be bothered anymore by these disputes. I have far more important things to do. The serious living of this faith. I bear in my body scars from my service to Jesus. May what our master, Jesus Christ, gives freely, be deeply and personally yours, my friends. Oh, yes. One of the things you come to realize when you study Paul's letters is that the vast majority of them, if not all of them, were not written by Paul in his own hand. They were dictated to a scribe Someone else wrote the letters, and before they got stuck in the mail slot, he signed them. 
There's something different going on here, though. Rather than just adding his autograph to the end of this letter that he's finished dictating, he's going to write the whole last paragraph. It's as if he was on his computer and he just hit the bold button. He wants this to stand out. It's important. I was saying in the first service, I don't know about you, but when I read an article in a magazine or a newspaper, guess which paragraph I read first? The last one. Because a good writer usually brings a synopsis of the whole article in that last paragraph. And you can save yourself a lot of time sometimes by reading the last paragraph first to see if it's worth going back to the beginning to read. And what we have here is Paul doing that very thing. In this last paragraph, Paul gives us a synopsis of everything that he has been saying up to this time, but he adds to it the real underlying reason and the motivations of the Judaizers. And it was their own benefit. It was to make them look good. It was to make them uh, powerful in the eyes of some people. So here's the bold print. And Paul's going to write this last paragraph in his own hand. You see, the Galatian believers who fell prey to the legalism of the Judaizers, Paul tells us here, they became their trophies. They were not much more than merit badges on a Boy Scout sash or trophies on a mantelpiece that when they won these Galatian Christians to their way of seeing things, they could puff out their chests and say, we showed them. And they became their trophies. The Judaizers gloried in the power that they had over these who were reduced to their brand of legalistic slavery. And that's what it was. It was slavery. That's why Paul said, it was for freedom that Christ set us free, so do not be subject once again to the yoke of bondage. Why would you, after being set free, go back? And, like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, the Judaizers laid burdens on these Galatian believers that they didn't keep or intend to keep themselves. This was more a matter of do as I say, not as I do. And you know how well that goes in parenting, don't you? <laughs> these men, Paul says, wished to avoid the persecution that was aimed at those who placed their faith in Christ's finished work on the cross alone. One of the things that fascinates me about the New Testament is the ministries of Peter and of Paul. I've always been amazed that Peter... The burly fisherman who hadn't been to college ends up being the apostle to the Jews. Where the educated Jew, former Pharisee, trained under Gamaliel, the teacher's teacher, 
becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. I may have done it different, and that's why I'm not God. You know, uh, God had his reasons for doing it that way. And when Paul's boast is no longer in law-keeping or circumcision, we need to remember and understand that one time it was. Paul at one time in his, in his uh, Pharisee days was attempting to keep the law of God, that he would stand before God, and that he would keep himself pure before God, and that he would somehow earn by his own merit the favor of God. He was steeped in this to his gills. And then he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. And something drastically changed. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians tells us that he was a Hebrew's Hebrew. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin as to the keeping of the law. Perfect. He was a Pharisee. And then he met Jesus. And all of his credentials, and all of his sheepskins, and all of his knowing, in light of knowing Jesus, he said was scubalon. And the word scubalon means animal feces. He says, what I had is a dunghill compared to what I have. And so we need to understand that before Paul takes on the Judaizers, Paul had gone through a tremendous evolution of his own in having to put aside that which he had dedicated his life to, not, not totally, because he saw the gospel now in the Old Testament scriptures and he could preach it from there. But his confidence was no longer in the keeping of that law and in circumcision. And so now, his boast is no longer in that, his pedigree, his degrees, his accomplishments. His boast and his confidence now rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross for his behalf. He states it very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you would turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a fascinating portion of Scripture. I wish I had, we could do all of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but time won't allow that this morning. But read it, it's, it's incredible. But verse 26 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful and not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The Apostle Paul uses this term again and again in his writings, that what Christ has done for us is so complete 
There's no boasting on our part. We'll never be able to stand before God on Judgment Day and say, I am here because I. And then Paul goes on and shows us why. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it is as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, it's not the fact that you walked an aisle one day in an old country church. It's not the record of your prayer life or the record of your Bible reading or the record of your church attendance or the record of your good deed doing that makes you stand before God. You and I stand before God because of what He did. Because of what He did. Chills go through me when I read the first chapter of Ephesians and it says that he chose me in him before the foundation of the world. What do you do with that? What do you do with that statement? That before the planets ever spun in space, before the earth was ever formed, before the grass grew and the cows ate it, before all of that, those who are in Christ were chosen by God in Christ. Because of what he has done. Because of what he has done. Paul says, Christ became to you sanctification and redemption and wisdom and righteousness. As I read this, I'm I'm reminded of an old hymn Not have I gotten, but what I've received. Grace has bestowed it since I have believed. Boasting excluded. Pride I abase. I'm only a sinner. Saved. By grace. See, Paul tells us here that the bottom line of one's salvation was not whether or not they had been circumcised or not circumcised, whether they observed the law of Moses or didn't observe the law of Moses, but had they become a new creation in Christ. In 2 Corinthians, book just to the right of where you are, Paul picks up this theme in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, a wonderful, you know, the one thing I've learned as I've been not only studying for this week, but as we've been going through the Galatian writing, you know, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, they had their issues, and he dealt with those issues. When Paul wrote to the Romans, they had their issues, and he dealt with their issues. When he wrote to the Galatians, they had their issues, and he dealt with their issues. When he wrote to the Philippians, the same way, and the Thessalonians, and and the Colossians, and, and all of them. But the thing that's interesting, though he addresses their specific issue, he addresses it with a single gospel. And so what we get again and again and again is this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that it is finished in him. To which we can add nothing. 
except come and be made a new creature of God in Christ. Uh, the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Here, the new creature is what NASB says. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And where did it come from? All this. All this. We need to remember that word. All this is from God, who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Then here is the deal of the ages. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I've been studying in recent days Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he pled with his father if there be another way let's do it. He talked of a cup and you know you can look at that and see well is Jesus whining and I don't want to die. You know, we go down through history and we see men and women dying. We see them facing in books like Fox's Book of Martyrs and other places with confidence, the stake, the cross, the flames. Who drank the hemlock? Socrates? You know, and the people that were there, he just picked it up and <laughs> bye-bye world. Or is there something more that's going on here in the Garden of Gethsemane? Well, there's a lot more going on, and it was sung about in one of the songs we sang about today, the word wrath, and I know that's not a real popular word in a lot of church circles today, but the Bible says we were under the wrath of God. And that cup, that Jesus trembled before in the Garden of Gethsemane was a cup that was filled with God's wrath against sin. Your sin, my sin, the sins of the world. That, that we were the ones that should have been nailed to the cross. And that's because when Jesus drank of that cup and became sin, his father literally turned his back on him and for three hours, Jesus hung on the cross without the presence of his Father in his life for the first time ever. And what was his cry? My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Why was he forsaken? He was forsaken so that you might not be forsaken. That you might not be forsaken. And there Jesus was judged for the sin of the world. The wrath of God poured out upon him. He died a death that he didn't deserve to die. The wages of sin is death, and he was the sinless one. But they took his dead body off the cross and laid it in a tomb. But when the scales of eternal justice were weighed, Satan had taken the life of one on whom he had no claim. And like the stone table and the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, death started working backwards. And Jesus came out of the grave alive. Proof. Bottom line, proof that the Father had accepted his sacrifice for you. Now here's the deal. When in faith we accept that sacrifice in our behalf, he that knew no sin carried our sins on his cross. He now takes our nasty, stinky, dirty robe of sin and wraps around our shoulders the perfect, clean, and glowing robe of his righteousness. The writer of John in 1 John, he goes so far to say that if you are in Christ, hang on, you are as righteous as Christ is righteous. Now when I look in the mirror, I have a hard time with that. But this is what it means, and this is what I know it to understand. I understand it to be, is that when I go before my Father in the name of Jesus, my Lord, He doesn't see me in my sin. He sees me wrapped in my new coat, the coat purchased by His Son for me. I've been reconciled to my heavenly Father through the work of His Son on the cross, and now He says, "We're now His ambassadors." If you've been reconciled to God. You're now his ambassadors, and you have a message now, and that's to go forth from here into the arenas of your life and to plead with people to be reconciled to God. You see, Paul would have concurred with us this morning when we sang, in Christ alone, my hope is found. Paul brings this letter to an end. He has a curious statement. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. There's a lot of speculation about what this phrase actually may mean. Personally, I believe that Paul is referring to the wounds that he sustained for the sake of Christ and his gospel. Wounds that could have been avoided if he would have just said no. Turn with me to the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians. Here we have a litany of Paul's statements where he talks about these scars and how they were earned. It's a curious passage because Paul talks about not boasting, but he says, hey, if those guys around me are going to boast, 
I, I'm going to get in on it for a little bit here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16, the little heading on my, in my Bible says, Paul's sufferings as an apostle. And he goes on to say, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being so wise yourselves. Uh, oh, these are, these are great words. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you. That, that's what they were doing to the, to the Galatians back in Galatia. Or devours you. Or takes advantage of you. Or puts on airs. Or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. And I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I, I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Wow. So gripped was Paul by the love of Jesus Christ. So devoted was he to the person of Jesus Christ that in another reference he refers to these daunting trials and tribulations as momentary and light. You need to read that list. And then hear Paul say, these momentary and light tribulations are preparing for me a crown and a glory and a forever with the Savior whose marks I now bear in my body. When I read these words, I was reminded of Mr. Valiant for the Truth from John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And this is Christian meeting him on the way to the celestial city. There stood a man before me with his sword drawn. 
and his face covered with blood. Then I said, Who are you? The man gave an answer, saying, I am one whose name is Valiant for truth. I am also a pilgrim, and I am going to the celestial city. The marks and scars I carry with me are my witness to him who will be my rewarder. You know, this is probably going from preaching to meddling, but I can't help it. And so I ask you today, what scars do you bear as a witness to him who will be your rewarder? What scars do you bear, and the only explanation for them is because you have stood for him in every arena of your life? We may not bear the physical scars that Paul and Valiant for the Truth bore, but living in a culture that is doing its best to silence the word of God and his people, the faithful will be scarred. When outside of these four walls you take a stand for human life from conception to natural death you will find resistance. Because outside of these four walls there are those waiting to pluck the unborn from the womb for the sake of convenience. And there are those waiting at the other end of life just as soon as you start experiencing some pain and anxiety of your demise and the disease that may take you there. They're now willing legally to hand up to you a choice. A legalized suicide to make your end comfortable. Many of you knew Sid McDonald, a dear brother who was part of this church for many years. One day I was at his house shortly before he died of the cancer that would take his life. And he handed me an envelope and I says, what's this? He says, you got to read this. I says, what is it? He says, well, when I finally got turned over to hospice and, you know, my days are numbered, they gave me this envelope and says, you know, there is another way out. And it was all the paperwork to sign for an assisted suicide. We can, we can make it so nice and easy. I don't know how many of you know this, but I serve on, a, on an ethics committee at our local hospital. And part of our debate over the last few years has been California's legalization of assisted suicide. It hasn't been an easy place to serve when those discussions are going on because I believe with all my heart that human life is sacred and that we're created in God's image and that we're called as Christians to honor it from the moment of conception to the moment of natural death. When outside of these walls you take a stand for biblical sexuality, and marriage as God ordained it between a man and a woman, someone's going to get in your face. 
when outside of these walls, when you embrace creation over evolution, stating that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that mankind has been uniquely created in his image, you will be mocked. And I know for some of you younger people in this room, when I was in high school 50 years ago, just shortly after the earth's crust cooled, <laughs> I remember a day, and some of you remember too, that evolution in the public school classroom was taught as a theory. Taught as a theory. You hear me? A theory. A theory. And I'll never forget in Midge Fisher's advanced biology class when we came to the topic of evolution and it was stated in the textbook as a theory, we got the privilege inside of that public school to have a debate about creation and evolution at the same table and brought them. Because you know why? None of us were there when it all came together. Mavis, do you remember any of that? No. <laughs> oh, I don't know where that came from. But, but the thing is, the thing is, you know, under the evolutionary theory, this just all happened. You just happened. And one of these days, you're going to unhappen. And we'll plant you and you can fertilize daisies for however long it continues to happen. And God's word says, no. By divine fiat and by his own voice, he created and brought into existence. And then he knelt down in the dust with the dust and the clay in his hands and there he formed man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living, rational being, a living soul. And you're not on this planet by accident. You are here with divine intent and divine purpose that God wants you to know through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to live forever, my friend. You're going to live forever. Take that stand out there. You might be mocked as a simpleton clinging to your book. Oh, there are scars. Paul told Timothy when he wrote to him, indeed, there's that word again, all. What's it mean? All. <laughs> Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, fact of the matter, persecuted. Take a stand for Christ in every arena of your life. And you will soon find that statement to be true. That's what we're called to do, is to stand and make our boast in him. 
And now, finally, after the storm and the intensity and stress of this letter comes a peaceful benediction. (laughs) I mean, it's just... After Paul has argued and rebuked and tried to persuade, his last word to the Galatians is grace. Because for Paul, it was the only word that really mattered. Can we read this one together this morning? Join me. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace alone. God's unmerited favor. And if it's God's unmerited favor, there's two facts. I cannot earn it and I can't unearn it. And I'll tell you what, the older I get, I've been serving the Lord as a pastor in his church for almost 45 years now. And his grace is still amazing me. And I stop and ask a question that Mavis asks often. Why me, Lord? Right? Why me? And when I go there, my mind is like an old pinball machine. It just starts going on tilt. Why me? Why? Why before the foundation of the earth did you choose me in your son? And then, after I try to puzzle it out, which I never will, I have to just once again accept it as a fact and fall at his feet and say, Lord, All to Jesus I surrender. All to you I freely give. I give you my wife. I give you my kids. I give you my grandkids. I give you my bank accounts. I give you all my plans. I give you my hopes. I give you my dreams. Because that's the only response that one can properly give grace, God's unmerited favor lavished upon you and me simply because he chose to do it that way. And so Paul's last word, and my last word to you this day, is grace. Grace to you. And may you be re-amazed every day when your feet hit the floor of the grace of God that chose you, that called you, that saved you, that keeps you, and one day will glorify you in his presence. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Don't be subject again to the yoke of bondage. Let's pray.
Father, once again, I am reminding you of the words of Pastor Jesse, that there's something about us in every one of us, this little legalist that lives inside that wants to think that I can do it, that I've added something to it, that I am here because of me. And if that's the truth, then grace isn't grace. If I stand before you on any merit of my own, now, once that grace is broken on my heart and I'm caught up in the wonder of it all, oh, it's going to change the way I live because I'm going to have a great desire in my heart to be like Jesus. And I'll begin to lend myself to those things that assist in that process. I'll come to your word. I'll come to you in prayer. I'll gather together with brothers and sisters who have the same desire so that we can encourage one another with these wonderful truths because we're definitely living in a world that is against them. And so may we be reawakened by the wonder of your grace and the keeping power for us day in and day out, whether we're in this room or out there in the arenas of life. In grace, they can also empower us to take a stand for you in whatever arena we may be. And Paul's already warned us, if you do, watch out. Oh, Father, oh, Father, may we be like Paul and find the scars we do bear because we love you will be but momentary and light when compared with the glory and the reward that is to come. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would those that I have asked to help with the service of our communion this morning come forward, please? On the night of our Lord's betrayal, he instituted a memorial service. Not a once and for all memorial service like we do, but a perpetual memorial service to be done again and again and again until he returns. That in this memorial service, we might be reminded of our Savior's suffering on our behalf as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At this memorial meal, we are reminded how his body was broken and his blood shed, not because of any sin that he had committed, but because of the sins that we have committed. From the Apostles' pen, we read once again, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. This is a time to celebrate what he's done for us. It's a time to remember what he's done for us. And it covers the ages because as often as you eat this bread in this moment, 
and drink the cup, in this moment, you proclaim the Lord's death, which happened 2,000 years ago, until he comes again at some time in the future. Isn't that neat? And these things we've talked about this morning, I want you to think on them as our leaders pass the elements of communion. I want you to take them in your hand. I want you to hold them until everybody has been served and then together we'll partake. But Brad's going to be just picking a little on the guitar up here. And I want you to stop and remember today what he's done for you. Go ahead. 